Hello, friends. Welcome to Time in the Studio. This is a podcast about healing, growth, and creativity. And I'm your host, Sarah Marie Miller. I'm owner of Ada Zia Arts, which is a company I started. Uh, I work with herbalism, flower essences, and nutrition, and I also make pottery and paintings. I'm so excited about this seventh episode today. I was trying to decide what to call it, and I'm still on the fence, so we'll see. I was thinking either cats with exclamation points, seven exclamation points, or uh, what the fucus, our marbles are in the gutter. Um, but I realize that's a little bit obscure. Fucus is a uh, seaweed, and then we also talk about seaweed marbling paper, bookmaking, and the gutter is a (laughs) term used for the inner part of a book. Um, I was also thinking of calling it put some seaweed on your vagina. So we'll see. There's so much that uh, Leslie Grossman and I dive into today. Um, I want to remind you that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. I am not a licensed practitioner and I just am an herbalist and an artist. So uh, yeah, talk to your doctor if you want to put seaweed on your vagina. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about printmaking, artist residencies, teaching at artist residencies, uh, we dive into the work of Solowit and Keith Smith, um, the idea of bookmaking, marbling paper, and that history and the traditions there, um, as well as seaweed and just the way that it transmutes the light. Um, we also talk about making an unconventional space, a gallery space, and Leslie's work as a curator. And last but not least, we get really meta and talk about time in the studio while we're on time in the studio. Um, I just want to send a big thank you to all the friends who are listening and uh, sharing this podcast with other people. It means a lot to me that uh, you like it or you listen or... Oh, and the last episode caused a little controversy. I just want to touch on that really quick. Um... So I advocate for people listening to their own bodies and eating what feels right to them. I'm not saying a paleo diet is right for everyone or the way that I eat is right for everyone. It's just really made a huge difference in how I feel and I feel so much better. So I just wanted to share that um, I've seen uh, cutting out gluten and dairy helping a lot of people to feel better. Um, But listen to your own body, do what's right for you. Everyone's body is different and unique and everything's, you know, listen to yourself. Um, Always, above all else, do what makes your heart sing. Without further ado, I welcome Leslie Grossman to the show. Do you want to record an intro or do you want like a total giggle fit? (laughs) I know. I always have to like go back in and like edit out so much giggling because I'm like, oh my God, it's just too much giggling. But it's like so fun (laughs) to talk to my friends. I just love hearing from people. Uh, 
I have loved listening to it, but oh. uh, are we? Are you? Are you going to put all of this in there? No, I no, 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 no. So okay. let's right. yeah, let's let's do an intro. Um, okay, let's let's see. Okay, um, okay, deep breath. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to have Leslie Grossman on the show today. Leslie, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Yay! Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. My pleasure. I've, I've loved I've loved, loved, loved listening to every single episode and it's like hanging out with you at, all over again every week mm. and um yeah, I just, I welled up with tears a little bit listening to mm. uh, you talk with Katie Reeves because it was just like, oh my God, I miss graduate school. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, that gives me chills. And uh, thank you for saying that. I know it is kind of like a return to Knoxville in some ways because I've had a couple guests on the show now from Knoxville, Tennessee, and it just, it's like, returning to the south and sitting on the porch with people and you know drinking lemonade or whatever yeah and just like being in the power of like these amazing strong women and or just people and um yeah and just reveling in everybody's creativity and, and spirit and I mean it was just amazing listening to Bridget's interview because I was like yes that's me that's me that's me but I didn't really know Bridget very well and mm-hmm. so it's like all of a sudden I just I feel like I know Bridget so much better now thanks yeah. to you <laughs> oh that's so cool yeah thank you for saying that I feel like it is just a nice like deep dive into other people's process and yeah it just is nice to have that camaraderie of like oh my god we're all in this together having these struggles of figuring out how to make our work in the world and yeah do what we're doing yeah it's nice to hear other voices and especially when you're in the studio I feel like it's really it can be kind of a lonely time and I mean Mm -hmm. it, it can be a nice place of solace as well but there is something so fun about like I love listening to artists podcasts while I'm in the studio because it is like being in the print shop in Tennessee and just having mm-hmm. all these people around kind of these other voices and these other insights and ideas. And so it's kind of like, being but then also, it. but then also just like completely dead quiet for, yeah. you know, hours even. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, I love when there's just the hush that falls over the crowd and there's no music playing and you can only hear like the noises from people's materials that they're working with or like the press that they're on or, um, yeah, I miss that. I miss, I miss communal, uh, studio time a hundred percent. Um, I do have that isolation in my own studio, but it's in my house, which Mm -hmm. I never thought would work out for me. Mm. Never, never. And, um, and now I just, I, You know, and that's what I, um, what resonated with, well, one of the many things with um, Bridget's interview was that, um, yeah, I do, 
I I love working at home, but then there is that moment of like, wow, I haven't even seen the outside world in an entire week. And it's beautiful out. I should be like playing and playing and rolling in the grass and like, you know, riding my bike. And, but you know, it's, it's just great because I can just like pop downstairs for a quick snack and then come back up and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, spend time with my cats for a sec. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I love (laughs) that. They're important too. Yeah, they are. Oh my God. So cute. (laughs) You have a new little kitten who seems like a wild, a wild child. Um, yeah, he's calming down. He's a little bit over a year now. Um, he's definitely calmed down, but he still bounces off the walls. Like literally will like, he's like a little skateboarder. He runs down our hallway and just like launch himself off the wall. <laughs> it's insane. That's amazing. Yeah, but he maybe learned it from the personality. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, most definitely. Yeah. You're like, don't mind me while I just like blast off this wall. No big deal. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, your podcast is about cats now. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. You know, whatever. It's kind of open to whatever comes up, you know. Okay. Okay. I love love a cat. You know, I don't have any cats right now, but um, someday I will have another cat maybe. It's not. Yeah. We've we've been telling people we're between dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So but cute. the cat, the cats are the cats are easier in in busy times like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot going on. I saw you just taught a workshop at Peter's Valley, doing monotypes for five days. I was like, oh my god, I need to hear more about that. That's amazing. Uh, what that is that great. place? What What did you do? Tell me more. So Peter's Valley is a craft school that is uh, in the Delaware Water Gap. So it's actually on government-owned land. It's a federal, federally-owned property. Um, it became a national park. I don't know when. Oh, my gosh. Uh, probably okay. in the 80s, 90s. But uh, we're going to flood. Uh, they were going to open the dam and flood out the area. And, oh, wow. um, and it was... The national parks like swooped in and and saved it um so this little craft school is um i mean it's not like aramont or penland in that it's you know not on steroids like they are but um they have a, <laughs> i mean it's they are amazing. though i mean they're like, they're epic yeah, is, yeah they're like, epic places yeah um but with peter's Sally, it's like a family. Like all of a sudden I just became this like member of the family and it's, they have a very small staff. It's probably about a dozen, um, you know, directly administrative. Um, they have studio assistants for each department and it's, um, weaving and special topics and photography and, uh, what else? Fine metals. Uh, they have an iron studio for blacksmithing and ceramics. And oh, um, then they just recently acquired all this entire print shop. So 
They have this beautiful three-story house that's just all printmaking. I love it. Um, So I was able to uh, go up. And the way that I got uh, affiliated with um, Peters Valley is that my partner, who is a blacksmith, he's been teaching there for the last few summers uh, as a beginning, you know, teaching the beginning blacksmithing classes. And those just sell out immediately there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to go up as his guest and take a free class. And I took a ceramics class and it was great. Um, and just started communicating with them. And they brought me in as a two-day paper marbling workshop instructor. And I did that in mid-May. And then I came back in mid-June for monotype for five days. And then mm-hmm. I just came back from there last weekend again, um, doing the hands-on activity, like marbling scarves for their fundraising gala. And that was oh a blast. God, that's yeah. so cool. I love that. That's yeah. like, amazing. And you're such a great teacher too. So I imagine they just got so much out of it. I remember in grad school, Koichi had everybody teach like a little demo and I think it had to be like half an hour or something. And I remember you did a screen printing demo and showed us like 20 or 30 different techniques you could do with one screen in like half an hour. It was amazing. I was like, I've never, like, you just like blew my mind. I'm like, can you just like make a YouTube video of that, that I can watch over and over? Cause it was so good. Yeah. You're such a good teacher. So yeah, I just want to. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the, uh, that was all open screen techniques, and I love teaching that. Um, I actually wanted to teach uh, open screen like monotypes uh, for Peters Valley, but they don't quite have their silk screen facilities. Um, built up yet but okay um i'm hoping for next summer that yeah. i can go back there and do some like monoprint and monotyping on screens yeah yeah i mean i, could I love see, it i could <laughs> see you would be a great resource for kind of like helping them figure out what they could do because i feel like you've you just have a vision for how to make things really efficient and flow really well like you're so good at organization of space and time and the whole continuum <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> thanks you would be a helpful yeah. ally even though sometimes I feel like oh god sometimes I just feel like I'm I'm over organized to where it becomes unorganized <laughs> it's like all, all, all of a sudden has this like adverse effect mm. on um on the whole flow of things but mm-hmm. um but yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> and I love the technicalities. I love, 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 love technicalities and process, yeah. um, as you probably know already. Um, and um, so I think that knowing how to make the wheel turn smoothly and the machine run properly, um, having that good flow of energy and um, knowing how to... Um, map out everything, even down to like where all of your tools are on the table before you even start. It just helps in keeping your area 
clean and clear and your brain from like going all over the room when it's like, this process is just like going to take up like four square feet. And like, you don't need to run all the way across the room to grab this thing when, you know, you have mapped out everything for yourself, um, you know, right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I aim to, I mean, I'm a hot mess when I first start a process, <laughs> you know, like all over the place, mm-hmm. like pain in my, like down my pants and I'm like, how's that get there? <laughs> but, but, but then, you know, knowing how the, the process runs and mm-hmm. how the, the, um, how the machine runs, um, then you can kind of backtrack and, and figure that out for the next time for the next session. Yeah. Or whatever. (laughs) Or whatever, you know, but yeah, I feel like you're so good at like streamlining (laughs) that process and making it look so good. And I can see how that is like part of your art too, like in the way that you experiment, but then you're also like continually kind of refining and just like making these slight little pivots and adjustments to kind of like, you know, like you'll do a print and then you'll use a similar substrate and changes just a little bit, or I don't know, you just have this really cool way of working. That's like very precise, but experimental at the same time. And then your results are just stunning and so captivating. Like it kind of reminds me of Salawit in some ways. Like there's this slow, um, precise dedication and intrigue in experimenting that I don't see a lot of other people doing. And I just, I really love that approach. So how, how do you do that? (laughs) Thank you. you. And you can, and you can compare me to solo it any time. Okay. Um, I, I just love his like instructional Mm. uh, artwork where it's just like, do this and then but you'll see um that the lines that are formed from you know this gallery to that gallery there um they do have those slight variations there's this constant that runs through um through the works if you see you know the same piece the same silhouette piece from like one museum to the next it all there are those slight variations and that's what i love about um about his work and that's what I kind of um, infuse in my own work as well is that I love that constant, but there has to be a variable to make it interesting um, or, or else you can't really, you can't really focus on the beauty of like the little nuances that are, you know, that are created um, unless you have, let's say, uh, a circle over and over, but there's that slight variation and, mm-hmm. and um, between one circle and the next, and you can you can actually see that that difference pops out more and it, it draws attention to the beauty of that nuance. Mm, I love that. How do you keep your curiosity? Because for me, I'm such a ping pong ball. Like I start 
one place. And then, you know, I kind of like your cat, like I just bounce off the wall and I go somewhere else and then, (laughs) (laughs) and then I bounce somewhere else. And it's like, I'm just so curious how you kind of maintain that steady focused curiosity on like one project for a year or one project for many years, you know, like you just feel like you have this like dedication that is really oh I don't know who I don't know I don't know who you think you're talking to right now (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I I mean I think I see more of like a continuous thread through all your bodies of work maybe than you do so that's maybe where that's coming from I yeah there there is and I see that in your own work in your work as well I mean you have Let's talk about you. So oh. you have this. Uh, okay. Well, you have this like really incredible way of layering and like colors, but this like um, this really interesting like smoothness. Like mm. you create, even though it's there may be layers upon layers and little scratchy areas, but you always have this really beautiful blend role that is, you know, tying all of the image together, or you have this, um, yeah, these organic shapes that come up and I'm seeing it in your pottery now, which I want to order every single piece that you've made. Um, (laughs) but I think one of the, with what, with what I'm doing and what I have been doing, I mean, I started, with like wet lab photography when I was, Mm -hmm. that was like my first jam. And that was Mm -hmm. when I was what, 14, 13 or 14 years old. I found my Mm -hmm. parents 35 millimeter camera. It's like, Hey, let me try this. And, um, I was lucky to, to go to a high school that had a really great art program or art department. Um, but they had a wet lab photographer, wet lab, uh, photo room. And, but there was only four, um, for the yearbook class. So I joined yearbook so I could use their (laughs) dark room. And then I worked it out between my yearbook instructor and uh, my art teacher. And we, um, you know, I did this independent study so I could work artistically in the dark room. Um, But then, you know, I kind of got a little shy, even like camera shy, like behind the camera shy. Like I didn't want to invade people's privacy anymore. Um, I don't know. There was just something too contrived about photography. And then, um, yeah, I just, I was into um, pottery and jewelry. And then I was doing some stained glass and then I was mosaic. And then I got into, you know, I was working in vintage clothing for a number of years. uh, And, and then I learned screen printing eventually in my early twenties. And I I was like, what is this? This is just so many processes mm. all wrapped up in one. It it incorporates like chemical elements and there's that positive negative. I can draw, I can do photo, I can do, you know, color theory and color mixing and mm, yeah. um and then the whole printmaking world came about. But then you know, people were telling my professors were telling me to addition and of course yes of course I have to addition when you know learn how to addition some prints but it's boring like for me (laughs) like switching 
medium constantly. It's just, it's all out of like, I don't want to say boredom because there's this kind of negative connotation that's attached to boredom, but it's more of just wanting to keep exploring. And if I, if I feel like it's more than just dabbling, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't want like my opera to be called the demise of the dabbler or anything like that. (laughs) You know, it's, um, (laughs) like that's not, (laughs) but, um, I, I guess for me, it's just, if I find something that I really feel fits right in my creative sphere, then um, I want to do it with, um, with precision and professionalism and then go off the rails and, and, and have fun with it and experiment with it. And that's actually what's happening right now with, marbling with paper marbling mm. yeah more. I don't know. what's going on with paper marbling i'm seeing all these amazing <laughs> images and your books are gorgeous i love you just have such incredible craftsmanship like i everything you make is just like so well done i'm like how do you do that <laughs> Well, I learned from you. <laughs> I, I mean, it's so, that's I know, when it's I like, got into bookmaking. I know. I think I just, I rush through things. Like, I'm just, like, so excited to have a book done that I'm like, oh, whatever. It's fine. And then I, I'm like, why didn't I just go a little bit slower? And then it would have been so much better. But I just, I, like, rush through it. I do that. Oh, yeah. I'm just noticing that. You seem to be willing to do that too with some, I mean, I guess with some projects, I, I tend to blast through them more because I have so many ideas in the works that I'm excited to get to idea like B through Z, you know, that I just want to zip through a, um, but it's, um, yeah, the marbling came about because I was making, you know, I was making books for, so I started this one a day project. Mm-hmm. It's called fun a day, which, you know, mm. it kind of incorporates like just doing something fun and creative every day for, uh, for the month of January. And I think some, mm. some states or cities do it, uh, February just for whatever reason but um so this year I decided to do it and there is a a local chapter of fun a day and uh they have you can exhibit your work at the local uh, or the West Philly uh yoga studio here studio 34 and um and there's so many people who get involved with it it's amazing they're like video projects and some paintings. And so I was, you know, Andy and I were, my partner, Andy and I were walking in our favorite little spot in West Philly here. And uh, I was like, I think I'm going to do fun a day. And this was on January 1st. <laughs> like, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a book a day. <laughs> oh my God, and this was, 
and this was the and this was the January that um, our our new administration was going to Ooh. be inaugurated, and um, so I just at that point I hadn't really been creative for mm-hmm. a, about a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. I just did it. I was like, I, okay, I'm going to make a book a day, and then. I went home and I started January 1st book. And then the next day when I got home from work, I did January 2nd. And every day I made a book and I had to start dipping into some resources that were just sitting in my flat files for years. I mean, it was just prints that I had made 10 years ago that were, you know, again, I'm going to quote, Bridget, because I was just like snapping like a lunatic when she was like, yeah, the preciousness, like you just have to release that. You have to let go of that preciousness. And I've been holding on to these, you know, just backgrounds, like Mm -hmm. prints that I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll do something with them someday. Or like, oh, there's this beautiful intaglio that I made on Kitakata, but then it's just in a drawer. And Mm -hmm why not cut it up and make it into something new and, mm. and release myself of third to the idea that this is something that should remain whole. Mm. And so I started cutting up old prints and making them into books and, you know, using them for covers, using them for content. And at the end of January, I had 31 books and, oh my God. um, <laughs> That's awesome. And as I sold them, I donated um, portions of each sale to Planned Parenthood um, because it really, like the project really got me through that wretched month um, and the beginning of, you know, months to come that were going to be emotionally tumultuous, emotionally tumultuous, just for myself, but like for the entire country and the entire world. Yeah. Um, I love that. That's but uh, with marbling. So I realized <laughs> so I was looking for other papers, and you know, I was looking online, and you know, there are some beautiful marbled papers out there, decorative papers, but mm-hmm. they're just not in my color palette, which apparently is every single color. Um, <laughs> I love. That. Come to find out, it's every literally everything. <laughs> but it has you have like a psychedelic Uh, range like I feel like your your color palette of your paper reminds me of the color palette of your wardrobe too you know it's like there's this psychedelic quality to what you choose yeah gotten a little lazy with my colors and my wardrobe (laughs) but uh <laughs> but yeah, the the wardrobe that maybe you knew. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just continued doing it. I learned. Um, I taught myself sumi nagashi first because that was, you know, the easiest. I had the materials at home. It's just water and um, sumi ink, and mm-hmm. it, you're floating sumi ink on water. And it's, um, I mean, it's from the 900s. I mean, it's wow. the oldest form of marbling. Oh, um, cool. And. I just wasn't, I wasn't yielding the results that I wanted to. I mean, mm. I, I I was trying so many different papers and it was just too muted, too, um, too kind of salty looking. And I, when I did find a paper that it was 
the colors were really nice and saturated. It was a $10 sheet of paper. And I realized that that just wasn't going to be financially lucrative, um, you know, for me and for, you know, using them and reselling them in books. Um, so, so yeah, I just, I was like, I want to learn the other marbling. Like Mm -hmm. I want to learn the like bright, colorful marbling Mm -hmm. and, um, which is the Turkish form of marbling. It's called the Ebrew, which is, um, floating on water, clouds on water, um, Mm -hmm. kind of translates loosely to that. Um, and yeah, just taught myself that got a little starter kit from, from another marbler and then just, just got really into it. And, um, it's a lot of process, but there are these instant, there's this instant gratification. I mean, each sheet is like, you know, three, well, two minutes to 10 minutes it takes and that's, that's it. So I can, I can jam out in an entire afternoon and, um, you know, make 25, 30 sheets of paper happen in an afternoon. Um, not all great ones, but, um, but have a good lengthy time for play. Yeah. So, yeah. And I've, I've just been developing my own patterns and, um, trying to, to sort of narrow down a more, uh, personalized palette, um, trying to make, you know, additions of them so that if I sell one, that's not the end. And also if I, if I'm at a craft fair, uh, book fair, I have them all laid out on the table. It's not overkill and people's Mm. eyes don't start bugging out, um, (laughs) you know? Yeah. There is something about having (laughs) the multitude of psychedelia. (laughs) Yeah. That does help to have like a little bit of a series or a theme or just, yeah, to have things be cohesive in some form. So that's a cool idea. It seems, is it really challenging to do that? Because it seems like it's such an ephemeral process. It would be hard to duplicate your results. Is it, is that challenging or how do you do that? You know, there are these little, little tricks that you just discover along the way, like any other process. And, you know, that makes your that makes things a little bit more consistent, but not so much challenging as it is like ever filled with gratification. Like I'm always, I'm always amazed. I'm always, um, I'm always surprised. I'm always feeling that there is this magical thing that I just did. And I, it's, you know, it's just an, it's exciting results every single time. And it's also a very calming process because uh, there are um, some motions in making the prints that take some time and you're just pulling these lines back and forth through the bath, which is carrageenan. Um, it's a seaweed. Um, it's derived from, from Irish moss seaweed. Um, and so it's you know, that process that's called Gelgit, which literally translates to back and forth or to and fro. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just pulling this, this stir stick back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over this, you know, 22 by 30 bath. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that can take a while and it's a very steady hand and it becomes meditative in a sense. Um yeah. 
Sounds like a little dance, like dancing with the water and the color and kind of like this collaboration with your materials because you don't have total control over it and you have to just kind of release that and let the materials do their own thing to some extent, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, yeah, I'm I'm pulling together uh, little families of, of patterns and um, I want to do a heavy metal series, I think. Like, heavy metal You know, series? just like, I don't know. Oh the, the kind of, Yeah, yeah. That's kind of my, that's on the, that's on the back burner. Well, not the back burner, but it's on the front burner. Um, yeah. It's probably the next uh, batch I'm going to do. I'm going to just kind of go like more heavy metal, like album cover looking. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love that. <laughs> I'm trying to cool it up a little bit. Like I need mm-hmm. to like cool it up and, um, <laughs> and make it more, you know, more of you. A, an accessible thing for us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just want to listen to Black Sabbath and, <laughs> and make, yeah, and do my marbling to Black Sabbath. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I could see like just the sound of listening to that music while you're making the work would like infuse yeah. the images with that kind of vibration. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, well, it's more podcasts that I'm listening to. Oh, cool. Yeah. What do you <laughs> what do you like listening to in the studio? I mean, besides time in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's it. I just listen to it over and over and over. I love it. <laughs> You're so sweet. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I am like a podcast junkie. I love them. I don't have you heard of Art Uncovered? No, I Ooh. haven't. Oh, I bet you would um, like that one. I just discovered it recently. I did. It's oh, interview sorry, it's interviews with artists and then um Oh, I can't remember her name, but she finds musicians as well. And so she weaves in um, music from different musicians every week. So there's like a couple different songs mixed in with conversations with artists. And it's just, it's really well done. She's been doing it for years and it's a good one. So yeah, Art Uncovered. I really like I I have a couple comedy podcasts that I listen to and it's just like kind of puts me into a different headspace when I'm, when I'm traveling through, um, city traffic. I love hidden brain and I love invisibilia and, um, I I love hearing kind of like the behind the scenes of the human, of human behavior in you know, certain situations or certain areas of, of, um, creative practice or scientific practice. But the, and then reply all is another one that I love too. That's not, you know, not necessarily a comedy one. And it's all about the internet, but it's not, it's, it's almost like hidden brain where it's like these stories that come from interaction of, through the internet. And um, yeah, it's a good one. Um, and I've been listening to Henry and Heidi lately, which is what? Henry Rollins and his long-term, uh, long-time assistant. Uh, can't remember her last name, but it's Heidi May. Actually, it's Heidi uh-huh. May. And yeah, it's just she gives him a topic, you know, the first time that you did acid or, you know, his his experience with writing My War. And they're just, they're he's such an amazing writer and philosopher and comedian and yeah. spokesperson. And he is just an incredible human being. And so, yeah, it's really fun to listen to him. Ooh, that um, sounds amazing. Go off on these t- 
And he's got this really infectious laugh. I love the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to check so, that out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to I wanna rewind a little bit, too. I was curious. Um, I love the name of your book-making company, Algae. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can kind of see where it comes from because I love your play with play the way you play with words and letters and kind of rearrange things and come up with these little things. And I can see like, you know, LG, Leslie Grossman, LG, and then mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like algae. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also mm-hmm. like, yeah, I would just love to hear y- you talk a little bit about how you came up with that name. Cause I feel like coming up with a name for our projects or our businesses is, you know, that's always like something that people struggle with. Like, yeah, it's like naming your child, naming your business is just, I think I'll forever feel slightly weird about calling my, my book work or my paper arts as like, you know, a, a company name, but, um, yeah, it absolutely came from my initials LG. I went back and forth for like, I don't know. It's been like three or four years now that I'm just like thinking, oh, should I LG, 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 like has a really kind of a funny, it doesn't really roll off your tongue easily. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I wanted to maybe couple it with something else like, you know, LG Brew or LG Wiz. I don't know. It was just like, mm-hmm. I have to have something else that, you know, that, that falls in place with it. And it just didn't, for some reason, it didn't feel right to me. Um, but then when I got into the marbling and I was using carrageenan for the, the bath that the paints are floated on, I was like, Oh my God. Yes. This is perfect. Like it, like who cares about the sound of the word? Like it's, it sounded like a harsh word, not a harsh word, but it it was just, you know, it's just not a word that rolled off my tongue easily, but the, uh, but the fact that carrageenan is derived from Irish moss, um, which is a seaweed, which is algae. Um, I was like, yeah, it, it absolutely fits. And then I started seeing all of these, you know, correlations between my work, the way that I work, the way that I, the way that I absorb and use energy and how the growth of, of this organism and the growth of my work and how, um, you know, I make my work visually and, and actually like very process based. Um, it just started making sense. Um, and I love that algae Algae is like, it takes in light and it just distributes it to every part of itself. And I was like, yeah, that's how I feel when I'm making work. It's like, I take in, you know, I take in everything around me and then I just like distribute it throughout my body and out into my work again. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess the other, the other thing was that they don't have roots and that was very important to me in discovering that um, that, that they don't form roots and Mm. I've moved around, as you know, like I've moved my entire life since I was two, we've been, um, my family moved us around. Um, my dad went to medical school when I was two 
and then we moved to do his, you know, to have his residency. And then we moved to, um, for him to join a practice. And then, um, eventually it just became normal for me to, to just shift into a different home or into a different space or a different community. And, um, yeah, it was, it was this like strange realization that like, yeah, this is, this is right. Like I need to, I need to just go with this name. Mm. So God, that is so beautiful and so much more layered than I even conceived of at all. So thank you for sharing that. That's so (laughs) profound and beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I mean, it's going to save the world. I think that LG is going to save the world. So, I, I mean, think so too. Yeah. There's, there's a couple herbalists yeah. out there that are like all about um, seaweed and the importance of it and saving our water because, you know, that's where algae grows and how it is such a medicinal um, life form. Like, for example, I learned in this um, doula training mm-hmm. that I did, you can use for women who give birth. And if they have any sort of tearing, you can use a piece of seaweed on, mm-hmm. um, the tear and it helps the body to repair like 20 times faster mm-hmm. than any other mm-hmm. form. Like, isn't that so cool? Like just put some seaweed on your vagina, you know, <laughs> it up. <laughs> Their title, the podcast episode, right there. Puts on your vagina. <laughs> there it is. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I mean, so funny. what else could there be beyond that? <laughs> I think this interview's over. <laughs> No, We've just said it all. <laughs> We've said it all. No, it's perfect. I, I, I can't. Um, yeah, it's a very healing. I mean, you know, the nutrients and the proteins are just. Yeah, they can save the world. They're they're a cleaner. They're they heal vats of water and then just keep on healing it. There's no, you know, they can grow in salt water. They can grow in fresh water. You know, it's an incredible organism. Yeah, I think of it too. <laughs> it's like you know, they're like these little bacteria, and they've been around way before humans have. So it's like this they carry this ancestral wisdom and they're constantly evolving and adapting. And so there is just like, yeah, this potent energy and wisdom that they carry Mm -hmm. forth to help heal us. So yeah, I love seaweed is so cool. So yeah, I love the name of your company. And I also, I love, thank you. I love the idea of them like taking in the light and then giving back the light. And it also reminds me of, um, slightly different channel, but I think of some people in my world that I've encountered, I think of as bridges and how they just connect different people together. And I definitely think of you as a bridge person, like, you know, not that you live under a bridge, but you're just like this bridge person. You (laughs) (laughs) You like, bring people together in this really magical way. Like wherever you appear, 
magic and connection happens. Like I loved when we years ago took a little road trip to, um, did we go to Philadelphia? No, we went to Tennessee. We went to Tennessee from Philadelphia to go to. You came, you came to for a night or two. That's right. And then we drove to Knoxville for the printmaking, the SGC conference in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just, it was like so fun traveling with you. Like you're just such an amazing companion to travel (laughs) the world with because you're just such a great storyteller and just so hilarious. And you are so good at just connecting with other people. And I think part of that is that you didn't have really specific roots. Like you're willing to kind of like adapt and grow and stretch out and reach out beyond what your root system would normally or a root system would normally Mm -hmm. kind of limit you to. So it's, yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. That's well, I think it's really important for me to get out of my, uh, out of my routine and um, throw myself into other unfamiliar places Mm -hmm. because I mean, it's, it's inherent first of all. Um, but also because it helps me push the reset button. Um, I really just, I am in a very routine based, uh, lifestyle right now. I have a nine to five Monday through Friday job. And, um, and when I get home, uh, I either spend time in my studio or I cook, which I love to do. Um, and, and I spend time in my studio and then I put aside my downtime, you know, some, some TV time with, you know, like all of the series. Around. <laughs> um, but the, uh, um, but yeah, I also feel as though home is very important to me mm. and I could easily just work at home nonstop um, I do get sort of trapped in my pajamas for an entire weekend, <laughs> you know, if I'm really, you know, head, head deep in a project. Um, and I love that. I love home. I love having all of my little things around and I love having, you know, my friends artwork on the wall and I love calling this my home, but I've called 29, 29 structures, my home over the past 41 years. And, um, and that's a lot it's, but there's this, you know, there's into a completely different house or apartment and putting up those, you know, those little statues or, um, those pieces of art that have been, uh, hanging on my walls since I was born or, you know, um, you know, that just make my home, my home. Um, but I can do that anywhere that, um, but with traveling and going to other countries too, I, I really love to just language a little bit before heading out there so that I can feel as though, um, you know, I'm being respectful 
helpful to the folks who, you know, are, are there and let them know like, Hey, I'm trying here. Um, <laughs> and, um, like when you went to Poland, I want to, I, I want to take, yeah, yeah. Poland. And just recently I went to Spain. Um, oh, cool. I didn't realize and, that. How was that? Yeah. I thought, uh, Oh yeah. Oh God. Amazing. Um, I went to Barcelona for, um, for part of the time and then Granada, which is in Southern Spain, um, for a few days in there. And I didn't expect that Barcelona was going to be as difficult to communicate because, you know, there's, there's Catalonia is, is, it's a completely different, um, language and um it was a little difficult at times to communicate because you know I was that jerk coming in just speaking Spanish and um and you know it was during a a very politically tumultuous time there um uh so I, I you know there wasn't the the response of that I was maybe um hoping for (laughs) or expecting um so yeah never 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 expect anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a tricky one (laughs) easier said but it was was, yeah it was it was a beautiful city uh i loved all the gaudi that we went to we went to all these like Gaudi structures and um and then in Granada it was just a completely different world it was just like very like full of travelers and very old and boho and just everybody is just kind of just easy going and loving and the food is amazing and the artwork is amazing and the streets are you know just stone streets that are in these intricate floral patterns everywhere and you just are walking across this and people are driving across this like people laid these stones sideways by hand Mm -hmm. however many years ago hundreds of years ago and it's they're these beautiful this framework that just lines every street and it's just incredible the time and energy and devotion to this project of making it not only, um, you know, a passageway, but this beautiful passageway, this, this ornate and creative, comfortable, like aesthetically, like, uh, invigorating passageway. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I loved the streets more than anything. And then I would look up and like, you know, oh, yeah, there's all this architecture around me also. Staring at the ground. Wow. Um, yeah. God, it sounds amazing. Yeah, I've never been to Spain, but it's on my list of places I would love to visit. Was there anything in particular that brought you there or it was just you've wanted to go? Um, I mean, I think that, well, I mean, my partner was very interested in seeing Gaudi, um, the Gaudi work there. That makes sense. Um, you know, like Sagrada Familia is like this, I mean, you just can't even describe it in words how 
um, immensely beautiful and, and structurally just bizarre that mm. it is. And so he was really into that. And I've, I've always wanted to go to Spain and I think it was just more for the fact that he, you know, I wanted to eat good food. <laughs> I mean, really, it was just boil it down to like food, the casa, and flamenco dancing. Like, uh, I think it was food, Picasso, and Lee Rowe. That was yeah. My yeah, we did not get a chance to see flamenco dancers because actually in Granada, that it's not so much a um, Barcelona thing. It's actually more of a southern Spain. And in Granada, oh, they okay. had this, um, you know, they have flamenco dancers, um, I guess, kind of on the regular, but they're like really traditional ones. Um the traditional performance in Granada was only on full moons. Mm, oh, so uh, we weren't, we weren't there during a full moon. Yeah. But we weren't there during a full moon. So we didn't see that. But, um, but yeah, it was mostly like, I just wanted the food, the wine and the art. Yeah. And I got it. <laughs> I got all of it. <laughs> I love that. Is there any advice you have for other artists or advice you wish you had received as an artist maybe five years ago? I think for me, five years ago, it was, I was just out of graduate school. I graduated in 2012 and I had been in academia for, you know, for since 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, in art school, you know, for seven years. And so there was this, I guess, so many expect to make work that meant something and make work that would sell or, you know, you have to have gallery shows, you have to make it, you have to make work that, you know, the process and the material and the image, they all have to be, um, you know, conceptually, uh, uh, stitched together. And, um, I sort of was in this rut of what to make now. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, I don't know how to move forward without making a whole other body of work. And so I just kind of stopped making, Mm -hmm. um, eventually I just, because I felt like the work that I was making or the work that I was feeling, like making didn't mean enough or wasn't going to make it into galleries. And I lost a studio space too. And it's, mm. I think for the advice that, that I would have for myself is don't feel as though you have to have meaning behind everything. Mm. Eventually it will all mean something, whether it's just to you or to someone else. Um, not everything has to have a purpose that is blatantly obvious, mm-hmm. um, because you're not the only one who is experiencing that work. You have everyone who looks at your work or uses your work because I sell these sheets of paper. I don't know what people are going to do with them. They've been used for um, the backdrops of kombucha bottles to mm. uh, books, to tattoo machines, to mm. jewelry. Um, and, you know, everybody is going 
to perceive it in a completely different way than the next person is and that you are going to perceive it as. So um, don't get locked into it having to mean something or have this statement behind it um, because it's not necessarily what everybody is going to take from it. Um, But also it's okay to stop. It's okay to have a break. Don't beat yourself up over, I'm not making, I'm not being creative. I'm, I'm, you know, being in creative slumps is totally Mm -hmm. natural and Mm -hmm. it's for you to go out and do something else, spend time cooking, spend time on your bike, you know, go to Spain and, you know, and eat olives Mm -hmm. for 10 days straight. (laughs) That is all going to, (laughs) I mean, really like that's, that needs to happen. I think with, I feel for myself, um, you know, with my practices that it doesn't have to be incessant. It, I can take a break of one week or two weeks or two years if, Mm -hmm. if other things are, are working themselves into my life Mm. at that point. Yeah. I love that. It's not a bad thing. It's really not bad to be, you know, an artist who is not practicing. It's, you're still an artist. It's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because you're not constantly making doesn't mean that you're not an artist. You are just, you're taking in the light. You're just absorbing the light Mm -hmm. right now. And that's going to redistribute when it's ready, Mm -hmm. you know, and when you're, when your body needs that, that to, to be distributed, it's going to happen. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. It gives me chills and it's just such a good reminder because I think we do beat ourselves up if we're not like these machines and sometimes being an artist isn't about being a machine. Like it is, it's about like being a little satellite or a little, a little algae and just absorbing the light. I love that. (laughs) Giving it back when you're ready. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, and when you're forcing yourself into making when you're not quite ready to make, then I make my worst work is Mm -hmm. when I'm forcing it into my day, into my practice. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, I've just, I think as I've gotten further and further away from, um, from academia, which I'm not knocking academia. I had like such an amazing experience in graduate school and I had such a supportive community and I felt like I grew immensely, Mm-hmm. Um, not only just with my own artwork, but, um, but as a person, as I'm floating through the years further away from when that was, you know, 17 hours of my day, every day, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes more apparent to me that it's okay to just make something because you feel it's going to, it's going to make you happy. It'll make other people happy. And it's fun. Mm-hmm and who cares like if it has a story behind it or not Mm -hmm. it's such a good reminder I'm curious how you structure your studio time and how you keep everything organized with like selling your work online and 
and working full time? Like, how do you keep yourself organized and keep your time kind of um, flowing or structured in some way? Uh, well, I mean, I work regular hours during the week, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. So I know that what I do with my evenings um, is is up to me, and mm-hmm. so you know if I'm if I'm wanting to jam in my studio all night, um, well, not all night because because <laughs> I'm old is, now and I go to sleep good. at eleven. Yeah, I know I love sleeping. It's good. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so I do have my weekends and my evenings that are dedicated to you know what I decide to do with them and Mm -hmm. some yeah sometimes it's just more studio time than others but um but right now I'm kind of living a good balance of um making dinner and so spending time in the studio and then having some downtime at the end of the night but um but I'll throw in a good couple hours or a few hours into into the studio generally like every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the weekends, I, I could just be living in here and be mm-hmm. fine. I'm, you know, I kind of hole up in here most weekends. Um, but uh, and keeping organized and selling work. I have a really hard time with it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I just quit Facebook. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I don't want to go on there anymore. And that sort of eliminates one way of putting a post up like once a year saying like, Hey, I have one piece in my Etsy shop. (laughs) Um, but, but I just did some, you know, book fairs and craft fairs and, um, and I have, I have materials left over. I have a hard time marketing my own work. I mean, I like, I like to sponsor other people's work and I like to pump up um, exhibitioning of other people's works. Um, I have an easier time doing that than selling my own work. Um, Is that that part of your role now in your job as, because I feel like you've been involved in some studios, really cool studios in Philadelphia. Is there anything that you found really helpful? Because you are a great curator too. You have a great eye at just like, figuring out what goes together and tying things together in a really beautiful aesthetic way. Thanks. Yeah, I do. I love um, curating shows. I love hanging shows. Um, I am in a very administrative job position right now. I mm-hmm. manage a bunch of art studios. Um, and um, yeah, it's more of a, a an administrative seat than anything, but <laughs> Uh, I needed that creativity in my work day. So I developed a gal, a little gallery in the hallway, um, in a hallway space that wasn't really being used much. Um, and that's just for the tenants. So, um, I, I'm able to kind of build a different relationship and kind of strengthen these bonds between the, the office and our tenants and we have some incredible artists and incredible arts organizations and galleries that are in both of the buildings. I mean, there are about a hundred studios total. So they're, you know, and they're all non-residential, they're all commercial, um, not commercial as in to, you know, selling artwork, but it's, I just, I really enjoy having that one-on-one time, even if it's every other month, um, 
you know, working with a tenant to hang up a show and represent them down in, in the main lobby. And yeah, it's, oh, it's, I love it's that. an That's extra so job cool. that I just kind of built into it. So mm-hmm. yeah. I love that idea. Cause it's just but, so great at like building community and creating this art space that wasn't even there before. Like all of a sudden you're like, and boom, this hallway is a gallery now. Like, I just love that you have that vision to make that happen. You know, the folks there, when they contact me, it's not for anything really art related. And mm-hmm. so um, this gives us both an opportunity to, for them too, to know that, Hey, I'm, I'm this other person too. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives us a chance to talk and commun- you know, and, and have this moment of camaraderie that forms. And yeah, I just get to know them on a different level and they get to know me on a different level and opportunity to see what's going on behind their closed doors, because it's a very, you know, private experience. They're all separated by these you know, doors and walls. There are no like partition walls uh, in the studios there. So mm-hmm. it's all working professional artists and this opportunity for them to to also break out of those walls to see them and see their work. Um, so cool. I love that you did that. Who is an artist that you've been really excited about recently? It could be somebody in that building or Instagram or wherever, just any artist that you're inspired by. Oh my God. Now I feel like uh, Solowit. We already talked about Solowit, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I just recently um, saw this exhibit at, uh, well, I went there like five times Ooh. to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Yeah. The Phil- Philadelphia Museum of Art is amazing as, yeah. um, you know, I hope that um have you been there yes it's an it's an incredible museum and actually as you say this I'm like I think I need to come visit you and go there (laughs) oh yeah I'm not here again I mean now that I know the city that much more um so this exhibit that's actually still up I think through mid-month and I may go one more time to see it again is Keith do you you know oh, who Keith yes. Smith is, right? Yes. Have do you know his work? Oh wait, did you say Keith Smith? I mean, aside from okay. so no Keith as oh. in the bookmaking author. Oh oh Keith yes, Smith. I I know his books, but I don't really know his books. Like I know his books about books, but I don't know his books that well, actually. Right, right, yeah, and. Actually, I went on this um, tour that the curator of the exhibit gave. Um, it was probably about 20. Um, and it was through the Philadelphia Center for the Book um, book Arts. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm a member of the um, of both. And so it was a free event for me. And um, I had already went through the exhibit once, but, um, she, she introduced, uh, the, the tour by saying, you know, this is either you don't have any idea who Keith Smith is, or you know him from his, uh, his books on how, on, on how to make books. And they're very diagram diagrammatic. They're Mm -hmm. very much like 
mapped out in a, like, so like precise. analytical, like mathematic. Yeah. Like everything is very precise. Mm-hmm. And I, when I saw his name on, you know, the e-newsletter, it's like Keith Smith, no, no, but it can't be the same Keith Smith. Cause there was a, like an image and like, that's, that's not the Keith Smith that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, was it is an incredible exhibit of his works on paper and mostly on paper, but mm-hmm. um, book arts, uh, photography, he stitches on things. He has this big quilt in there. I mean, it's amazing. And all of the layers, like you would die. It is just gorgeous, like so colorful, so free and loose. And there are these layers upon layers of medium, like, you know, sewing and, and photo and Xerox thing and print and paper, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's an incredible exhibit. It's just beautiful. Um, so that is my most recent, um, obsession is, is his work in a totally different light that I had never known him as, um, he was just this author, like almost like a cartographer, you know, because you have to figure out like his diagrams for how to make books and how to sew books are like maps. And, mm. um, uh, yeah. And it, <laughs> I mean, you really have to like learn his language in order mm-hmm. to, to follow his instructions and follow his maps. Mm-hmm. So seeing his, his own work and he's very reclusive and mm. he, you know, he's very much an introvert and just doesn't really, this was his very first museum show. He has had work in gallery, um, uh, you know, since the eighties and well seventies, I think, but um, you know, he was dropped from one gallery after he came out or after they, you know, he was out as gay. And so there was, um, I think maybe some introversion from that. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but this curator spent time going back and forth between the museum and his home, which is, uh, in Rochester, I believe, New York. Um, so, you know, he doesn't communicate through email and he just only does phone or snail mail. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, his, yeah, that show is just amazing. I love that they highlighted a book artist too, because I feel like oftentimes books are relegated to this, like, like they're not honored as much as they should be. Like there's some artists who've made incredible artist mm-hmm. books and you only see their craft. paintings. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, hard. Yeah. I, we don't get to see that enough. It is. It's really worth checking out. Cool. That sounds amazing. And how do we find your work, Leslie Grossman? How do we buy your books and connect with you and see what you're up to? Um, if you want to see all of my work or examples of a uh, medium that I like to play with and I have been playing with, um, you can go to leslieagrossman.com, L-E-S-L-I-E-A-G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N. And, um, if you just want to buy stuff from me, <laughs> um, you could... Uh, you could go to Etsy and type in algae book and paper in the shop search. And that's A-L-G-A-E. Uh, in Instagram, I am at algae, A-L-G-A-E 
book and paper and it's I think there's an underscore in there somewhere but if you just type it in and you'll find it awesome oh my gosh so amazing well thank you so much for being on the show today it's just such a treat to get to chat with you and catch up and hear all your beautiful insights uh thank you so much for doing this and I love talking to you all the time and um I'd rather like just have our next conversation just be all about you (laughs) (laughs) no it should be all about you how's that (laughs) she everything that you've done and reaching out to all of these incredible creatives and um and sharing them with with that and I think it's a wonderful idea and um, it's always such a breath of fresh air to hear your voice and hear your laugh and it's um, I just feel very like my shoulders just drop after talking with you every time that I do this sense of like relaxation that comes over me and this thank you for saying that I feel the same way with you I just feel so inspired and energized and relaxed all at the same time you're just a breath of fresh air so thank you so much for shining your algae light out into the world (laughs) (laughs) well I hope to talk to you soon and and thank you for everything Oh, thank you for everything. I love you so much. (laughs) Love you too, and I miss you hard. I know, I miss you too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to stop the... Okay, we're stopping the tape recorder right now. Yeah, this is the end. Okay, Okay, good.